0: Hey, my name is George Hinman. Let me begin with a question this morning. If you had an elephant, what would you do with it? You have to kind of think about that one, don't you? It's weird. It's a weird question. It's an interview question. It's one of those tricky ones, you know. Um, It was set to a woman named Amy, 24 years old, just out of college, interviewing for a job. And someone asked her that question. If you had an elephant, what would you do with it? (laughs) She goes, if I had an elephant... What would I do with it? This is a software company, not a circus. She sat there a little frozen for a while, and then she got an idea. She said, if I had an elephant, I would set up a petting zoo, I would charge children to come in and pet my elephant, and then I would give half the money to a charity and keep the rest. Huh, that's pretty good thinking on your feet, don't you think? I mean, it's a good answer, right? What would you do with an elephant? In 2018, the New York Times ran a series of articles called Life After College is Weird. One of the articles was titled, If You Had an Elephant, What Would You Do With It? That article was kind of about how you start your career looking for a job. The series was designed to be helpful to those who are graduating from college in the first few years of life, trying to negotiate, quote unquote, real life. And the articles uh, were dealing with topics like how to cook, how to manage debt, how to fall in love, these kinds of things. And it caught my attention because, don't forget, we're a university Presbyterian church. And uh, we make that transition to real life here every year. Many of us do. And we love college students. In fact, one of our values is growing with students. At UPC, when we say growing with students, what we mean is we grow uh, as students with students. And so I thought, well, this is an interesting set of articles. What would Jesus have to say to those who were experiencing life after college in each of these areas? Well, this is the question we're going to take up for the next six weeks. We're going to pull a topic and the title from one of these uh, New York Times articles You don't have to read the article, I'll read the article, see what the culture is talking about, but then see what Jesus has to say to us as we navigate this life transition. Now, you might ask yourself, why do I care about what Jesus says about life after college? And I I get that, You know, many of us didn't go to college, many of us um, don't wanna go to college. If we did go to college, it was a long, long time ago, and we've kinda moved on. But let me suggest three reasons why you might. You might not, but why you might care about life after college. First of all, you might be an emerging adult. You might be one. Uh, Amy is one of two million people every year who graduate from college in America. And if you haven't hit your 10-year reunion mark yet, then you're still figuring it out, right? In America, traditionally, we've observed five markers of adulthood, um, leaving home, finishing school, getting married, having a child, financial independence. We've noticed some trends that, that we're hitting these markers later. In 1960, uh, 66% of men, 77% of women had achieved these markers by the age 30. But 50 years later in 2010, very different. 28% of men and only 39% of women have checked these boxes. Now, I personally don't think that these markers are the right markers of adulthood. These are just culturally uh, defined. But if you're in your 20s, then you're an emerging adult and you're negotiating the big questions of life, like who am I? Who are my people? What difference will my life make? make. You're an emerging adult. And this series is for you. So you might be one. Uh, or secondly, you might care about an emerging adult. You might care about one. It could be uh, a neighbor to one, a friend of one, a core group leader, or a, a host, uh, parent, grandparent. You might have one living in your home. Actually, 40% of, of people, under 30 will move back home and live there for a significant period of time. And that's before COVID-19. Now we're all living at home, right? So you might have a young adult right next to you. And and I wanna suggest it's a ministry opportunity. It's a great opportunity to influence the life of another uh, young adult. I can remember when I was working with college students, uh, went down to Daytona Beach for spring break with a bunch of them and we saw this inflatable beer can that was like the size of a hotel. And we walked down there and we found out they were giving away free beer for spring break. And we were like, who can afford to do that? Free beer. So we asked. And they said, well, our brand research shows us that the brand decisions you make in your early 20s will stick with you for the rest of your life. It's interesting. That's why many people call the 20s the defining decade. Research shows us that of the most impactful experiences that we have on the whole arc of our lives, the majority of them are clustered together in that decade, uh, in your 20s. So it's a very important time to have influence in the life of another person, to help to care uh, for an emerging adult. One commentator says adults don't actually emerge, they're made. And we get to be part of that process. So that's another reason why you might be interested in in this uh, life stage. The third is you might feel like an emerging adult, right? Jeffrey Arnett is the scholar at Clark University who coined the term emerging adult. And he says the core feature of emerging adulthood is transition. Is anybody experiencing transition right now? I know I am. I know I want to experience transition right now. Right now, life after college is weird. But it's really weird, because all of life is weird right now, right? I mean, you may not be going through a a quarter-year crisis, quarter-life crisis, maybe a midlife crisis, maybe a COVID crisis, maybe a race crisis, right? We're all in crisis right now, which becomes an opportunity for transition. Last week, we talked about race and racial justice in our country. And I want to encourage you to to keep that conversation in mind as we go through this series. Because we want to understand what is needed for me, what is needed for us to move through transition towards a better future. Because the fact is, um, change is what happens to you. And there's always change. But transition is what happens inside of you. And the question is going to be, What kind of transition will you experience? Will will it be what you want? Will it be intentional? All right, before we jump in, I want to introduce you to a panel of our experts. As Polly shared with us each week, Chris Thurton, who's our director, associate director of university ministries, and I have the privilege of sitting with a small circle of Uh, people who are in this very life transition. They're seniors in college or just out of college, and life is really weird for them. And so we want to pay attention to their voices. They're going to be guiding us through this this experience. So let's take a moment and hear this quick clip. Watch this.
1: Hello, um,
2: my name is Nishadi. I'm a junior at UW. Hello, I'm in California. I just graduated from UW last quarter, so this is my first quarter non-school.
3: Hey everyone, my name is Miko. I'm a senior at Seattle U. I'm
4: a junior at U-Dub as well, and I'm currently in Seattle. I'm at home. I
2: am with my family nonstop. I am having to figure out with my family what it looks like for me to have an adult relationship with them, in a way that works for them, and in a way that works for me.
4: Because I grew up in Singapore, and um, things like achievement and like success have always been things that I've aspired towards. Just because the culture um, really encourages that, like good grades, like getting a good job, and stuff like that.
1: Just given this time, I'm kind of going through a change in like what I thought I wanted to do. I think the fear in that is when it comes to when other people um, get involved into like my career change, like for my family, for instance.
2: I still haven't like told them. I think a lot of us are feeling that like, okay, so what's next? Like, how do we stay stay in community at this pace or at this level? And I think a lot of us have gotten comfortable in the fact that community finds us rather than we need to go find community. And we aren't necessarily equipped to do it in a way that's healthy for us and healthy for other people.
3: And my parents, they're, they're the first gen. And so they kind of, you know, when they came to America, they want to really play it safe and, you know, pursue a a safe career and just stay in that for their whole lives, which is what they've done. Um, And so just kind of that upbringing um, subconsciously um, was rooted in my mind. um, But that um, just isn't how I roll. But it it does deep down um, concern me and make me nervous just because, you know, they have my parents have really sacrificed, you know, a lot to, you know, give me the life that I have now, and I don't want to, you know, disappoint them. And I really want to, um, you know, make them proud of me. And I really do value um, what they what they think.
0: Aren't they great? Um, there's a lot there that they're negotiating, but just think of it, their lives have gotten really weird for a lot of reasons, right? Just one day in March, their friends just evaporated, they went home, they graduated in their PJs, and now they're graduating into the worst economy since the Great Depression. And, And so what does Jesus have to say to them and to us? Well, to get an answer to that, Today, I want to invite you to read with me from Paul's second letter to, uh, to Timothy, Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one, verses one through seven. This is Paul's last letter, probably that we have in the New Testament at least, probably his last letter to Timothy, who is his closest friend and ministry partner. He would call Timothy my true son uh, in the faith. They were close. And uh, Timothy's about 30 years old, so he's not an emerging adult in that sense. But he knows what it is to feel like one because he's about to go through a lot of change. Paul's in prison, his last imprisonment. Uh, He'll die soon, be executed shortly. And he seems to know it. uh, So that after 15 years of mentoring Timothy, he writes this letter to say goodbye and to help him launch, right? This is change, and the question is, will it be, for Timothy, good, positive, constructive transition? So uh, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And uh, feel free to stand if you like and read aloud with me. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading or hearing God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. If you're standing, please be seated. When there's so much change that life gets weird, what does Jesus say? Well, I think it's right there in verse six. I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. You have a gift. It's from God. Rekindle it. Now, Timothy's probably going, that doesn't sound like much of a plan. Paul, help me out. But the reality is when life gets weird, plans aren't that helpful, are they? John Lennon, the singer, once said that life is what happens while we're making other plans. Joe Lewis, the boxer, once says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. right? Paul says, don't focus on the plan. Focus right now on the gift, on, on what God has given you. Not on what you don't have. Don't negotiate with your fears. Forget about what you've lost or what you might lose. Focus on what God has given you. You have a gift, Timothy. You have a gift. In essence, it's kind of like he's saying, you know, if you had an elephant, what would you do with it? How would you live out? what God has given you. Well, what's the elephant, Paul, Tim, uh, Timothy could ask. Let me tell you what it's not, Timothy, uh, Paul seems to be saying, verse seven, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. That's not the gift, cowardice. Fear, fear is not gonna be a gift to you, Timothy. God has not given this to you. Dr. Meg Jay is the author of the book Defining decade. And she tells a story about a young man named Ian, who during his 20-somethings feels like he's in the middle of an ocean. Have you ever had that experience? Like in the middle of an ocean and he can't see land in any direction. There are no markers. He has no way where to go. He could go in any, it's an infinite number of possibilities. And so he's kind of immobilized uh, by by fear. Because The fear is, well, if I went that way, I don't really know where that will take me, and if I get that halfway there and use all my energy and I find out it's the wrong place, then I'll be sunk. And Dr. J explains, yeah, there is a kind of a terror associated with realizing that my life is mine to live, that I'm in charge, that I have choices uh, to make so she asked well ian you know what would you if you were in the middle of the ocean what would you do and uh, he says well i guess i would have to wait for a boat to come by her concern is that if ian will simply stay where he is and wait for a boat to come by that one day one would come by and that it would be a boat maybe brought by his friends or a girlfriend or an easy job or perhaps his parents. And if, Timothy, if um, Ian gets into that boat out of fear because he's afraid of anything else, Dr. Jay says he will months or years later wake up in some far off land doing a job or living a life that has absolutely nothing to do with Ian. And I don't know about you, but... I can relate to that story. This idea that, first of all, the paralysis of not knowing what to do because of all the options. And then, second of all, making the easy choice and ending up years later uh, to a life that's been defined by something that doesn't even represent who I am. And Paul says, don't let fear be the gift, don't let fear be the elephant. You will not like where it takes you. You've not been given that gift of of a spirit of cowardice. Well, what is the the gift? Well, I think he he has told Timothy already. He's told him in the very first verse of uh, of this letter. He's, and here's the gift, life in Christ Jesus. And Paul starts the letter by saying, this is the gift that I'm living with, Your mentor. Timothy, life in Christ Jesus. Verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I mean, I'm sent by Christ Jesus, by the will of God, meaning God designed this for me, uh, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, the gift of life and the living of life in Christ Jesus. That is uh, the gift. And it's not just for Paul. Paul has been convincing Timothy for 15 years as his mentor that it's for Timothy as well. Indeed, this is a gift that's shared. It's for all of us. This is the gift. And if we can live with this gift of life in Christ Jesus, it begins to reframe the way we look at the horizon and the way we see the path in front of us. Now, for Timothy, Paul seems to emphasize two aspects of this gift, a purpose and a power. And I want to unpack these just very briefly so you can see. Purpose and a power. No matter how weird it gets, you've been given a purpose. Life in Christ Jesus has a purpose. See, God has a purpose for the world. And he has a purpose for your life. Listen to the way Paul talks about it in verse 9 of the same chapter. He says, God has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So often we feel like the story of our lives is something we get to make up. And Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. There's a much better story, a much more beautiful story. And that's the story of what God is doing in the world. You don't make up the story of your life. You wake up to the story of your life. When you read God's word and you realize God's doing something in the world, this redeeming, loving, creative God. And Paul says... You know what? I learned this from my ancestors. You learned this from your mother, Lois, and your grandmother, your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Timothy's half Jewish. So, this is what our upbringing in the Jewish community has been about understanding the greater story into which our lives uh, have been given. So, there's a purpose to our lives. Your, Your individual purpose will never be at cross purposes with God's purposes. If you want to know your purpose, you first have to understand what is God's purpose? What's God doing in the world? For what purpose has God made me uniquely, created me, called me, redeemed me, commissioned me, sent me? He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. That's a gift. That's a real gift to receive that. The second thing Paul wants to emphasize is power. You see, no matter how weird it gets, you've been given a power. And he says in verse six, rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now scholars ask, what exactly is Paul talking about here? It could be Timothy's ministry. He was ordained to a certain ministry. It could be the gifts, spiritual gifts to conduct that ministry like prophecy. But I think most likely he's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit because he's talking about a gift that is within you. He's talking about a gift that's like a fire. Remember, Pentecost that can be rekindled. Uh, he's talking about a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the presence of God in your life. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, whether you feel like it or not, the Holy Spirit of Jesus has taken up residence in your life. Spirit is, is another word for wind. Wind and spirit in Greek and Hebrew the same words. So Paul is saying to Timothy, kneel down and fan the embers of your life to allow the wind of God to blow into every part of who you are and bring to life the purpose of God. See, about the purpose, he says, remember the story. But about the power, he says, rekindle. Rekindle the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the gift of life in Christ Jesus. Paul said, don't pay attention to what you don't have. Don't settle. Don't negotiate with your fears. Don't run when it gets tough. Don't stay when you're done. Don't live the life that you know you can live in your own power. Aspire, dream, imagine. Live the life that you've been prepared to live by the gift that God has put in your life and then let the power of the Holy Spirit enable you to live that life. That's your calling. It's terrifying, yes, but it's also wonderful and nothing could be more beautiful. And, And I would say that unless we do that, we will never be satisfied because this is the purpose for which we've been made. Life in Christ Jesus, that's the gift. If you had an elephant, what would you do with it? So that's the elephant, that's the gift. Now you and I have the responsibility, we have the authority to decide what to do with it. Wow, but let's be honest, nobody wants an elephant. Nobody wants an elephant, right? What would you do with it? Elephants start thrashing things, you'd have to feed it. it, would, it would, you'd lose a sense of control. When I was in my 20s and someone told me about life in Christ Jesus, I said, thank you very much, but I'm perfectly happy the way I was. I didn't really want it. Life was pretty good for me. I was planning on being a lawyer. I've told you before, I'm the first Hinman male in four generations not to be a lawyer. Nothing wrong with lawyers. But when I came into this understanding that God has a purpose and a power for for me, that I've been given this gift, I didn't want it because I had a sense that it would disrupt my values that it would disrupt my drinking, my sexuality, my wealth, my sense of security. And in fact, he did do all that. And I'm so glad he did that. It's been a wonderful uh, gift. By the way, I'm speaking of my 20-somethings, but now I'm in my 50s, and he continues to do the same. And I now inv- I've learned to invite him to do the same. A few years ago, I was wondering whether I should change jobs, whether I should stay in my role here at UPC or do something else probably because of a combination of frustration and challenges and fatigue but i took it to jesus i went on a retreat and uh, prayed and thought a lot about uh, my life and you know what this is the verse that the lord gave me that day second timothy chapter 1 verse 6 rekindle the gift of god that is in you what i heard jesus saying to me at that point in my life was yeah you can go somewhere else or you can stay right where you are and do it in a new way. You can go and try to find a place where it's easier, or you can stay right here and contend with my power and the gifts that I've given you, and you can actually grow. And I'm so glad I did, because look at what's happened in the last few years, look at what God has been doing at UPC, what a gift, what a blessing. But see, here's the reframe that Paul is trying to get Timothy and us to consider. Not thinking about the plans or what we have or don't have, but thinking about the gift what God has given us. I could change my job. I could find it, or I could find a new way of doing it. I could go somewhere else, or I could find a new way of being someone else right here. And this is the point transition. Can't do much about what will happen to you. But you're in charge of what happens inside of you. And Jesus is eager to change us, to help us. Finally, let's circle back to our panel of experts and see what this is looking like for them. Let's watch this last clip. In
4: order to really go down the path that God wants me to go down, I've really been trying to pray and like think about okay, like what talents do I have specifically that he wants to grow that he wants me to use, what opportunities has he given me in my life, and what path is he putting me on. I think moving forward it's really about continually putting him in the center and him at, like to be like the first thing that I want to pursue and that would everything else like control and like seeking other people's approval well they are good to a certain extent um yeah that they would be second place
3: um as compared to him and I realized that you know me not owning up to anything was a big reason why we weren't experiencing a, a lot of reconciliation or healing mm. and um Jesus kind of encouraged me to um, put my ego to the side and um, admit that I was wrong and um, confess things. And I was very uncomfortable, but it was also very transformative.
1: Where trust come from is just like how, the fact that like where I am today, compared to like where I looked at myself like a year ago, I didn't know that I was gonna be here. And I've moved through so much and gone through a lot. And like, it just like, it kind of just like reiterates like just like how great he is. Um, and how much he is moving and, like, just working, even though it seems like it's, like, silent. Um, But then just looking at all that change that's happened literally in, like, a year, like, not even a year, it's, like, nine months, um, is absolutely incredible. So trust is a really big thing,
4: Um, and prayer. I didn't even know Jesus one year ago, which is absolutely insane, Um, seeing how much has happened in that time, I know that like by trusting him, um, I know like everything will be okay. Like whether it's my perception of
3: okay or not, it will be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, What the Lord has really been showing me in this, um, you know, season of life of balancing my own expectations versus the expectations of others is that when I pursue rest and I pursue stillness, um, all of those fears and doubts and anxieties kind of just fade away um, as I just rest in God's presence um, and rest in his goodness
4: right
2: this whole time is hey like the your worth in this time is based on how much you produce and how much you can get done and your to-do list and Jesus is wiping all of that away and he's saying come sit with me come sit I have something to teach you all you need to do is ask, how can we meet Jesus in that? Because when we invite him into the small things I'm learning, there's no way he doesn't overflow into the big
4: moment. I know that God is here with us and he is holding us in this. And while this is a really terrible time for a lot of people, it's also an opportunity for people to um, stand up to that and really uh, live into what we're being called to do in this time.
0: Mm. And they are going where they're going because they're going with Jesus. So let me leave you with this question this week. What have you been given? What have you been given? What does what the gift of God look like in your life right now? And what are you going to do with that? You, you do have to think and pray about that. That's a, by the way, a steward's question. A steward is someone who chooses to live their life as those who have been given gifts from God, for God. And over the next six weeks, we'll think about how that stewardship reframe affects the way emerging adults, those who care about emerging adults, those who feel like emerging adults journey with Jesus. Next week, we're gonna talk about friendships. Really weird, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you've come to us. Thank you that you've succumbed into our humanity. Thank you that you've left your spirit to draw us into your divinity. And for this gift of purpose and power, we pray that you will meet us as we reflect on gratitude and your generosity. Not what we wish we had, but what we actually have in this great story, in the gospel, in your presence in our lives and power and the many other particular gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the ability to journey together. Even though we're socially isolated, we are connected to one another as we're connected to you. Let us help one another in the coming days. And uh, we do ask a blessing on our uh, emerging adults and those who are graduating uh, into, quote, unquote, real life. May they graduate into your life, most of all. In Christ's name, amen.